0: Chapter Twelve of The Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E Hanshu and Thomas W Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: As a Thief in the Night. The arrival of Dollops lighted a spark of great interest in the servants' hall. The newly engaged maids accepted him for his youth and sharp manners as an innovation that they rather fancied than otherwise. Borkins alone stood aloof. It seemed to the man that here, in Dollop's lithe young form, in the very ginger of his carroty hair, in the stridency of this cockney accent, which Cleek had endeavoured to eradicate without a particle of success, "'was the re-embodiment of the older, shorter, more mature James Collins. "'To hear him speak in that sharp young voice of his "'was to make the hair upon one's neck prick in supernatural discomfort. "'It was as though James Collins had come back to life again "'in the form of this east-side youngster "'who was so extremely unlike his drawling, over-pampered master.' "'but Dollops had been primed for his task "'and set to work at it with a will. "'Been in these here parts long, Mr. Borkins?' "'he queried as they all sat at supper, "'and he himself munched bread and butter and fish paste "'with a vigour that was lacking in only one quality—manners. "'Borkins sniffed and passed up his cup to the housekeeper. "'Before you were born, I dare say—' "'he responded tartly. "'Is that so, Methuselah?' "'Dollops gave a little boyish giggle at sight of the butler's face. "'Well, seeing as I'm getting along in life, "'you must be a good way past the meridian if you don't mind my saying so. "'Funny thing, on the way down I run across a chap "'what's visiting pals in this here village, "'and he pulls me the strangest yarn as ever a body heard.' "'something to do with flames, it were, frozen flames, or icicles, or frost of some kind. "'But he was so full up of mystery that there weren't no getting nothing out of him. "'Anyone here tell me the story? He fair got me curiosity fired, he did.' "'A glance laden with sinister meaning flew around the table.' Borkins cleared his throat as every eye fastened itself upon him, and he swelled visibly beneath his brass-buttoned waistcoat. "'If you're any wiser than you look, young man, you'll leave well alone, and not go sticking your fingers in other people's pie,' he gave out sententiously. "'Yes, there is a story, and a very unpleasant one, too,' If you use your eyes to-night and look out of the smoking-room window as dusk comes on, you'll see the frozen flame for yourself, and won't want to be asking me any fool questions about it. One of the servants here, and a rude, unmannerly London creature he was, too, disappeared a while ago, going out across the fens after night-time, when he was warned not to. "'Never seen a sight of him since, though I'm not mourning any, as you can see.' "'Go on!' Dollop's voice expressed incredulity, amazement, and an awed interest that rather flattered the butler. "'True as I'm sitting here,' he responded grimly. And before that, a friend of Sir Nigel's, a fine big upstanding man, he were name of Wynne, went the same way. Got a little the worse for drink and laughed at the story. Said he'd go out and investigate for himself. He never come back from that day to this. God's truth, how awful! "'You won't find your humbler anchoring after the fresh air come night-time,' broke in dollops, with a little shiver of terror that was remarkably real. "'I'll keep to me downy, thank you, and as you say, Mr. Borkins, leave well enough alone. You're a wise gentleman, you are.' Borkins, flattered, still further expanded. "'I won't say as all you cockney chaps are the same as Collins,' he returned magnanimously, "'for it takes all kinds to make her world. "'If you feels inclined sometime, I'll walk you down to the pig and whistle, "'and you shall have a word or two with a chap I know. "'He'll tell you something that'll make your hair stand on end.' You just truck along to me when you're free, and we'll take a little stroll together. Dollops' countenance widened into a delighted grin. Later, Dollops, in the act of laying out Cleek's clothes for dinner, while Cleek himself unpacked leisurely and made the braces that held the mirror of the dressing-table gay with multicoloured ties, "'gave out the news of his promised visit to the pig and whistle "'with the august Borkins with something akin to triumph. "'That's right, lad, that's right. "'Get friendly with em, returned Cleek with a pleased smile. "'I've an idea we're going to have a pretty lively time down here, "'if I'm not much mistaken. "'Stick to that chap Borkins as you would to glue.' "'Don't let him get away from you. Follow him wherever he goes, "'but don't let the other servants in the place slip out from your watchful eye, either. "'Those frozen flames want looking into. "'I have grave suspicions of Borkins. "'His sort generally knows more than almost any other sort, "'and he appeared to be sizing me up pretty carefully.' I shouldn't wonder at all if he had an idea already that I am not the man about town I appear to be. It will be rotten luck if he has. Time I got into my togs, boy. Here, just hand me that shirt, will you? That night certainly proved an even more exciting one than Cleek had prophesied. The household retired early, as country households are apt to do, but Cleek, however, did not undress. He sat at his window, which faced upon the fens, watching the trail of the flames dancing across the horizon of night, and trying to solve the riddle that he had come to find the answer to. He heard the church clock in the distance chime out the hour of twelve, and still he sat on. The peace of the quiet night stole over him, filling his active brain with a restfulness that had been foreign to it for some time in the stress of his busy life in London. He felt glad he had taken up this case, if only for the view of the countryside at night, the stillness of the untrod marshes, AND THE ABSOLUTE ABSENCE OF EVERY LIVING THING AT THIS HOUR. THE CLOCK CHIMED ONE, AND HE HEEDED IT NOT. TWO, HALF PAST. OF A SUDDEN HE SAT BOLT-UPRIGHT, THEN GOT NOISELESSLY TO HIS FEET, AND GLIDED ACROSS THE FLOOR TO WHERE HIS BED STOOD, a monstrous black object with heavy canopy and curtains, a relic of the Victorianism in which this house was born. He moved like a cat, absolutely without sound, fleet sure. His fingers found the coverlet, and he tore it down, tumbling the clothes and pushing down the pillow so that it looked as if he himself lay there "'Peacefully sleeping beneath the sheltering blankets. "'Then, still noiseless, panther-like, "'He slid his lithe figure under the bed. "'Then the noise came again. "'Just the whisper of footsteps in the wide hall, "'And then his door opened soundlessly, "'And for a moment the footsteps stopped.' He could feel a presence in the room. If it were dollops, the lad would give some sign. If not, he lay still, scarcely breathing in the enveloping darkness. The footsteps came again, softly, softly padding across the room toward him. He saw the black shadows of stockinged feet as they crossed the path of moonlight, and sucked in his breath. Man's feet, whose? Then something shook the bedstead with tremendous force, but without sound. It was as if some object had been hurled forcibly into its softness. The footsteps turned again, hurriedly this time, and there was a sound of a deep, Drawn breath, a breath full of pent-up, passionate hatred. Then the figure ran lightly across the room, And as it flashed for a moment through the bar of moonlight, Cleek looked out from his safe hiding-place and saw. The eyes were narrowed in the ivory-tinted face, The jaw heavy and undershot as a bulldog's while a dark-coloured moustache straggled untidily across the upper lip. The moonlight, cruelly clear, picked out the point of something sharp that shone in one clenched hand, something that looked like a knife, that was a knife. Then the figure vanished and the door closed noiselessly behind him. "'Hm! So this question of the frozen flame was as urgent as all that, was it? "'To attempt to murder him here, in the house of the Squire of Fetchworth?' "'He wriggled out of his hiding-place, a little stiff from the cramped position he had held,' and guardedly lit his candle then he surveyed the bed with set mouth and narrowed eyes there was a sharp incision through the clothes an incision quite three inches long that had punctured the pillow which lay beneath them-the pillow that had saved him his life-and buried itself in the mattress beneath gad powerful hand, that! He stood a moment thinking, pinching up his chin the while. He had had his suspicions of Borkin's, but the face that he had seen in the moonlight was not the butler's face. Whose, then, was it? End of chapter 12